Well, hey, everybody, thanks for joining us online. Happy Fourth of July weekend. Hope you were able to enjoy some time with family and friends. And if you haven't yet, maybe you can even find that time uh, today to kind of slow down, relax, focus on what's good, uh, and be intentional about some time off. Um, I want to, before we get into our conversation today, I want to give you an update on our services moving forward as of next week. And so uh, many of us have been starting to come back to in-person services, and we want to let you know that our 4.30 service on Saturday afternoon um, is now going to be a masks required service. And so as we've been talking as leadership and with many of you in the church, we know that would be one thing that helps uh, a large chunk of us feel more comfortable being around people. We're still eager to get back together uh, with folks, but we want to be in an environment where we have that available. And so check out that 4.30 service if that's something you're looking for. And of course, the rest of our services are still masks. Um, Mask optional, plenty of people wearing them, some not, but check those things out. And again, the 4.30 service uh, is now mass required as of next weekend. And of course, we'll still be online uh, both days uh, next weekend as well. All right, well, we've been uh, in a series that we just started last week called Stops Along the Way where we're really looking at how did people interact with Jesus as he walked the earth. And so as he navigated life, as he led, as he did things, as he served people, as he taught, what were the reactions of the people around him? What were the reactions of his disciples as they signed up to say, I'm following you. And then, oh my goodness, you turned things upside down. I'm not sure what you're doing. We're going to look at kind of these stops along the way of Jesus, his life and what he did and see how we would respond. I, I'm excited to dive into uh, our story today. Um, and this has been something that honestly, I ask myself kind of regularly is, if Jesus were walking around the earth today, right? If he were in the greater Akron area, teaching, serving, doing these different things that he did, how would I respond? How would this be blowing up my perspective? How would it be impacting how I see life? And we get a glimpse of this, right? 2,000 years ago, we see how he interacted and it still has ripple effects for us today. So excited to dive into that with you. And we're gonna dive right into a character, a person, a historical man named Matthew. So the Bible actually talks about him with two different names, Matthew and Levi, same person. And I'll kind of fast forward the story a little bit. Uh, Matthew is the same disciple that actually wrote the first book of the, uh, the New Testament uh, called Matthew. And so he gives the story, this account, this gospel of Jesus to help us understand who he is. And so uh, this disciple is one of Jesus's like innermost leaders, one of his innermost trusted followers. And so as one of the 12, he becomes one of the leaders of the early church. Again, he writes this book of the New Testament and eventually he even gives up his life as a martyr for the mission of Christ. And so this is someone that is locked in, living for Jesus, even dies for Jesus. Um, but where does that start? Right? Where does his life get so impacted? Where does that ripple effect happen in him to where that's the type of life that he's leading, that that's the way that he decides to follow Christ? And that's what we're going to dive into today. Where does that begin? So why don't you go ahead and open up your Bible or click open in your app? Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at this interaction that Jesus has with Matthew and we're going to read it together. So open up there, click there so that you can follow along with me. 
And it starts in verse 13. And so uh, Jesus is again working with people, seeing his disciples. And it says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi or Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi, Matthew got up and followed him. Now, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love this interaction here because there's, there's so much going on with the people that are in the room. There's so much happening with how Jesus is interacting with Matthew, the people in the room as they're observing this, and of course, even the Pharisees as they ask this question. But let's get a little background on who Matthew was because there's a reason that Jesus was there. There's a reason these other tax collectors and sinners were hanging out. And there's a reason that the Pharisees reacted this way. So as a tax collector in this time, in, in Roman occupation of Jerusalem, in all of the areas of Israel, tax collectors were reviled. They were hated they were the people that were taking the taxes from people that were due, but then creating a difference, creating a pocket of money that was dishonest and then selfishly taking that gain themselves. And so tax collectors were known of having this reputation, whether you were rich or whether you were poor, of saying, this is how much you owe the government. This is how much you need to pay to stay in good standing with Roman officials but I'm gonna make sure that there's a little bit there extra for me because I'd like my shoes to be a little bit nicer. I'm looking at this nice robe. I wanna live in this place. I'm going to get rich because what can you say against my word of how much you owe? There was no way for the people to kind of fight against this. They were under complete oppression and tax collectors were a part of that regime. And so people hated tax collectors. They saw tax collectors as people that basically were synonymous with, if not the very embodiment of what it meant to be a sinner. These were wretched people in their eyes. These were folks that not only cheated on them with their money, but also cheated on their, their history, their heritage. Oftentimes these tax collectors were Jewish themselves. And so it looked like they completely turned their backs on their family and their people just to make a personal gain themselves. Now, why on earth would Matthew decide to do that profession? Why would he jump into something where he knew he'd be hated? Where he knew he, he was hated by the Jews for being a tax collector, for taking advantage of them, but he was even also hated by the Romans because he was a Jew, right? He was someone that was completely under the thumb of the Roman Empire and yet he was their agent, and so the people that he was collecting from also hated him. This was a profession that Matthew chose. Why would he do that? What on earth would compel him to go into something where he knew he would be hated? 
I think about some of these motivations. I'm trying to think about the insecurities or the desires or the jealousy or the, the covetousness. The, the, you want the things that other people have. It, maybe it was just simply greed. Whatever it was, what was this sickness? What was this emptiness that Matthew's feeling in his life where, again, he would choose a pathway of being hated regularly? We've kind of seen versions of this pop up in our own culture where people choose a pathway where they're trying to get more for themselves on some level because of some underlying reason, again, maybe insecurity, and they end up being hated or misunderstood by many, many people. It's kind of like if you think of some of those stereotypes of the, the person that's got all the spray tan in the world, and they're trying to, you know, kind of puff, or, you know, they, they walk around with their chest puffed up a little bit and they don't really have the muscles, you know, they're kind of doing this all the time and they have no problem flexing when they tie their shoes and stuff like that. They always want to be seen as someone that has this image. Or maybe it's the person that's always flaunting their money, whether they have it or not. They have to be seen driving certain cars or they, they have to live in a certain zip code. And that's what drives them, compels them. These would be things that are likely synonymous with Matthew's story. But oftentimes what breeds those types of decisions are some type of emptiness or insecurity. The reason that I kind of see that is because that was something that I regularly struggled with growing up, my early adult years, and honestly, at times still kind of comes back and haunts me because I want to be known as someone that's associated with these things, seen with this type of reputation, to have these types of toys at my disposal, whatever it might be. I can still remember um, back, uh, it was early high school, there was a certain brand of clothing that I, I had to have. I, I begged my parents for it. I, I needed this brand of clothing. And I remember it was, I don't remember if it was birthday or Christmas, but it was a holiday. My parents, I opened up the present and there inside was a t-shirt with the brand that I had wanted so badly because I knew, I knew that if I showed up in school with clothing that represented that brand, that I would be somebody. Now here's the irony. I opened up that box and I thought the t-shirt was hideous. I, I, I hated the t-shirt. The t-shirt was awful. It was not the colors I would choose, choose. It was not even the representation of the brand that I necessarily liked. There was just everything about the shirt I, I despised. However, ugh, it had that brand. And so who wore it all the time? I did because I wanted to be seen as the person that was associated with that. Now, it gets way more complicated than that than life, right? Like it's not just about t-shirts, it's not just about clothing brands, it's not just about uh, these insecurities, but it's a, an example of these types of things that kind of well up inside of us and then end up kind of pushing us down pathways that we're not necessarily proud of or pathways where we end up being hated. Because people at school that I went with, I found out later, they thought that I was becoming arrogant. They thought I was becoming a jerk. They thought that I was trying to somehow make myself untouchable with certain groups of people because I was trying to elevate myself above others. And they saw it happen right before their eyes. I didn't see it though. I was blind. There was something missing. And when I think about all the different ways in our lives that we end up choosing things that are unhealthy, as Jesus is saying in this passage, that are actually a sickness. 
It's, it's the sin that starts to destroy us. We see this pattern over and over and over again. For instance, if I choose to ostracize myself from groups of people, from both sides of the coin, I just always want to be separate. What, what's in me that's driving that type of separation? I don't want to be associated with that group of people or this group of people or that issue or that thought. What's driving this separation all the time with, with other folks? If I refuse to engage with healthy dialogue with other people, I don't want to have a conversation. I don't want to learn your point of view. I don't, under, I don't, I don't want to understand any of that. What's the emptiness inside of us that says, I don't even want to hear where people are coming from? If I'm the type of person that is giving in to hate, I, I, I hate certain groups of individuals, or I hate that point of view. I hate, if that's, if that's a phrase that easily rolls off your tongue, what, what is that in me that I'm willing to give in to that way of life, to, to hate things so much. If I keep giving in to destructive habits, if there are things in my life that I know are hurting me personally, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, what is it about the condition of my spirit, the condition of my soul that I keep choosing to go down those destructive paths? What's, what's missing Many of us are insecure all the time about something. We don't want to take the step. We don't want to have the conversation. We don't want to get help. We don't want to address these needs. There's something in us that says, I'd rather wear the ugly t-shirt because I can be known for this. Or in Matthew's case, I would rather be hated by everyone that I know because it means that I can have this, this, and this. What is that inside of us? that motivates us quite like that. Now, Jesus, when he enters the scene, I think this is incredibly important because he sees it. He sees those insecurities. He sees the, the junky t-shirt that I wore in high school. He sees the motivation and he sees the people we're becoming. And he sees how others are interacting with us. And he doesn't interact. Jesus doesn't come to us and say, what's wrong with you? He doesn't come with that judgmental attitude. Maybe we would hear that. Maybe we would even ask that of ourselves. Look in the mirror and say, what is wrong with you, Joe? Why would you continue to do that? But instead, Jesus comes to us and says, hey, come on, what's wrong? I'm, I, I'm here for you. I see that you're sick and I want to help. And I think that that's kind of the point that Jesus is making here with Matthew as he calls Matthew to be a part of his movement, of his people, of his family. By, by calling Matthew, Jesus is stating that no one, no matter how far gone that we might define, no one is outside of his redemption. No one is so far gone that you can't be turned around, that there can't be life infused into you. Let's, let's take a look at these words from Jesus and what he does. He says, if it's not, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He calls us to two different ways of interacting with this. First of all, Jesus calls us to repent. Jesus calls us to turn from the destructive path that we're walking down 
and asks us instead to follow him. Repent is not this, this turn and burn, turn or burn word that should drive some type of judgment into our hearts. Instead, Jesus is saying, I see the pathway that you're headed down. I see the jealousy. I see the hatred. I see the emptiness, the loneliness. I see it. I see how this sin is eating you alive and it's taking you down a path of death. I see it. And so he says, will you acknowledge it? Will you trust me as a doctor who can give you the diagnosis that this thing that's eating you up inside is actually destroying your life? If you understand that you're sick, if you understand that you're lost in your sin, Jesus says, I'm here to call you out of that. And the second thing that he does is he forgives sin and makes us new. The doctor gives the cure. The doctor helps us understand what's the path forward. What can I do to actually be helped? What is it that I can possibly give my life to that gets me out of the sickness, that gets me escape from the sin and allows me to step into something new? This is the life that Jesus was calling Matthew to and that he can call you and I to as well. I love this passage that shows up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the Apostle Paul kind of showing us a little bit about how we as followers of Christ are now made new. And he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Jesus is giving us this promise of something better, of something new, of something life-giving. He's giving us this promise that as we follow him, that as the good doctor is diagnosing our illness, he's diagnosing our spiritual sickness, that he also has the cure. He forgives us. He makes our life new and will bring us into a completely new way of thinking in life. This is what happens when he calls Matthew. He looks at Matthew and says, hey, what's wrong, bruh? I'm here to help you. How can we do that? But then says, follow me. Let me show you what's missing. Let me show you what can be new. Matthew, now, seeing what Jesus is doing, seeing how Jesus is teaching, seeing how Jesus is interacting with people and suddenly hears Jesus say, you hated tax collector, you, person that has wronged so many, that has cheated so many, that is despised by everyone, I'm asking you, will you come follow me? I love that story of Matthew. I love the redemption that it means. But the fun part about this passage is he's not the only one in the room. You see, Jesus' disciples are also sitting there. Jesus' disciples would have been just as anti-Matthew as anyone. They'd likely been wronged by Matthew or other tax collectors. They'd been taken advantage of. They're looking at Jesus as people have already decided to follow him and says, Jesus, we're in with you. Let's go do your mission. Let's do what you've called us to. And then all of a sudden, Jesus looks over here and he says, hey, Matthew, follow me. And the disciples are like, what are we picking him for? Are you sure we want him to be a part of the group? Mom, does he have to come play with us? Like they're 
absolutely mind blown, right? As they're looking at Jesus's decision to call Matthew to follow him. Our default is that we don't wanna be associated with these bad reputations. We don't wanna be associated with these people that are broken. And what the disciples are being challenged is, is do you not remember that all of us are broken? The disciples' internal conflict would have been fierce. Jesus is redrawing the lines. Jesus is showing God's intention from the beginning. Jesus is showing them, reminding them, helping them understand what it means to have redemption in the first place. Jesus is helping turn things upside down for the disciples so that they can see things the way that God sees them. He doesn't want them to be stuck in their prejudices. He doesn't want them to be stuck in ostracizing people that were hateful, even if they deserved it as individuals. He's restructuring how we interact with people. He's helping the disciples to see a new way, a new path. That's the best part of what happens to us when we're following Jesus is he consistently can remind us that he's in the business of calling the Matthews. And as a disciple of Christ, we're learning from our master. We're learning from the doctor. We're learning from our savior. As he says, this person, this person, this person, no matter how far gone, I'm calling them to be a part of the family. Will you let them be a part of our group? Will you let them learn what it means to follow me? Also in the room, you have the Pharisees, right? The teachers of the law. They're blown away by this as well. It's amazing. They, they even verbally out loud, out loud start asking the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why would Jesus be willing to be associated with these kinds of people? There's all the baggage that's lining up in here. He, he's saying, why does Jesus eat with people that are hated? Does Jesus want to be hated too? Why does Jesus want to eat with people that have cheated so many? Is he someone that cheats? Why would Jesus want to be with folks that are known for their emptiness and their loneliness and their brokenness? Why would Jesus want to be with these people? You see, the Pharisees had elevated themselves so highly that they completely forgot the mission of God. They completely forgot that God was there to reach all people around the planet, all people around the earth, that the ministry that God was here to do, that he sent Jesus for, was to redeem people just like Matthew. You see, they put themselves on a pedestal. They saw themselves as already having figured it out. I'm healthy and you're sick. And the only way that we could possibly navigate life is if it stays that way. The only way I can stay healthy is if I remove myself from the sick. The only way that I can stay in good graces with God is if I avoid sinners. And see, Jesus was saying, no, 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 you have it all wrong. First of all, every one of us was spiritually sick. Every one of us desperately needed Jesus. And the fact that you have elevated yourself as a Pharisee above everyone else completely misses the point. The Apostle Paul continues in that passage in 2 Corinthians. He says that, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself 
through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Doesn't that sound a lot like Matthew? He's not counting Matthew's sins against them. Instead, he's reconciling Matthew to himself. And then he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. God looks at people like the Pharisees. He looks at those that have already at least think they've discovered something. And he's saying, remember, this is why I'm here in the first place. Remember that reconciliation is what I'm all about. Reconciliation is the message of God that he's trying to bring humanity back to himself, to that place of life and wholeness and fullness to escape those insecurities and the loneliness and the fears and the emptiness of life. Jesus is reminding all of the people in the room the mission of God. And so we find ourselves there, right? We're somewhere in the room. But we have to remember that no matter how we see the people that Jesus is interacting with, that we ourselves are in this story. I truly believe that when it comes to Matthew, we have one of Jesus's most powerful examples of forgiveness and invitation to new life that God offers. Someone that was completely an outsider, welcomed in, arms wide open into the family of God. And Jesus is saying, do you want to be a part of that? Because I, that's what he's leading. Jesus is saying, that's what I'm doing. This is the business that God himself has sent me here for, that I, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we are on this mission to reconcile people back into the family of God. What I love about what happened in that room is Jesus is setting the stage about what God's mission is completely about. You see, in, in this room, Matthew feels complete he finally belongs. He finally has the family he's looking for. He finally escapes the spiral of hate. It says, now I know why I'm created. I know to whom I belong and what I'm on this earth for. The disciples feel conflicted. And that's okay. Because Jesus has no problem whatsoever about making us squirm in our seats. He wants us to see things the way that he does. He wants to challenge our perceptions and help us to lead a life of love and hospitality that we would also welcome people into the family of God. And with the Pharisees, well, they're, they're gonna feel corrected. And again, Jesus has no problem with this because our hearts and our minds must change if we wanna see God. If we continue to elevate ourselves above other people, family member, friend, entire groups of people, it doesn't matter. If we're gonna put ourselves on a pedestal, Jesus is gonna correct that and say, no, 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 no. We all need the salvation of Christ. We all are sick and need the doctor to show us the pathway of life. You see, some of us, as we, as we sit kind of both in this room where we're at right now 
but kind of momentarily find ourselves sitting in the room where Jesus is calling Matthew. Some of us, we need completed. Some of us, we have that longing to finally feel at peace and at rest and at home. And Jesus sees us. He sees that you're sick. He sees that you need help. He sees the addiction. He sees the issue. And he says, let me show you what life looks like. Come, come follow me. He's calling you. Some of us feel conflicted. Some of us, we're we're not really sure what to do with our life. We have certain lines. We have certain biases that we've drawn up. We see things a certain way and, and we don't know what to do with people that think or see things differently than us. Especially when that person starts to to kind of wave a banner of Jesus. We're like, whoa, 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 but we totally disagree and we're tempted to continually be at odds with the people that Jesus is calling. And so that conflict, that conflicted nature, we have to open ourselves up and say, God, will you help me to see things the way that you do? Will you remind me that we're blind, that we're sick, and that you're the only one that can actually show us life, open our eyes and help us understand what the mission of God really is. And of course, some of us, some of us have a little bit of a self-righteousness that needs corrected. Sometimes we see ourselves as the only people that God would ever wanna have a relationship with. And we separate ourselves from people that have different ideals than we do. We separate ourselves from people that think differently than we do. And then when they raise their hand and say, I want to follow Jesus, our temptation is to say, whoa, 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 this isn't for you. And that same self-righteousness is exactly what Jesus is standing up against. And so some of us, as we're watching this, we might need to be praying, Jesus, will you, will you humble me? Will you let me see people with the same compassion that you do? Will you allow me to be a part of the mission that is willing to, instead of putting my hand out against, instead I would maybe offer my hand and be a part of the voice that says, come, discover the life and the fullness that is available in Jesus. The good news is, no matter where you see yourself in the room, whether you need the completedness, whether you're conflicted, or maybe even if you need corrected, no matter where you sit in the room, you have the good doctor, you have the physician. Metaphors aside, you have a savior. Jesus is offering this life to you. Jesus is saying, will you come and will you follow me? Let me make your heart new. Let me show you what a new creation looks like. He's there, he's calling you by name. He's saying, will you come follow me and will you follow me closely? He's there calling us, he's there correcting us, he's there completing us. The question we have to ask ourselves today is, are we willing to trust our savior? Are we willing to trust the doctor as he helps us realize where we're empty, where we're sick, where we're sinners? and follow him to life. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be called by you in the first place. 
The crazy thing is, is if we're an earshot of this message today, as we're, as we're digging into these words that you say in Mark chapter two, as you remind us that you didn't come to call the healthy, you came to call the sick. Lord, one way or another, will you show us where we're at in that room? Will you show us our sickness, our addictions, our insecurities, the things that we're leaning into, our, our arrogances that have nothing to do with godliness? Will you help us see the biases? Will you help us see the conflicts? And will you help us to trust you? Will you help us to follow you into a pathway of life? God, I pray for all of us that as we honestly stand before you, that you would change us, that you would make those that have never decided to follow you that new creation, that you would call them just like you called Matthew and say, come, come home, follow me. And for those of us that have said, I want to follow you, Jesus, already, will you show us a continually better way to see people, to interact with people, to love people the way that you do. Guide us, Jesus. Help us. And thank you for showing us this glimpse of who you are. In your name we pray. Amen.
this together.